2: Okay, it is finally time. We're here, everyone. It is Combine Week, so we can finally start talking about the NFL draft. We can finally start having some news breaking, some movement. We've got NFL insiders in Indianapolis. We have our journeyman insiderer who is in Indianapolis. I will be joining him there later on today. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar. This is a great week for me, Sage. How are you in Indy?
3: I'm doing great uh, glad I made it looking forward to having a partner this year last year I was the solo correspondent uh, for the score North and this year hopefully your flight makes it tonight. So looking forward to the week obviously a lot to do. Uh, the, you know, the first athletes uh, don't perform until Thursday uh, a part, which a, a part of those are the quarterbacks so I'm looking forward to that and obviously there are a lot of things that lead up until that. Uh, the you know coaches talking, the GM's talking. Uh, obviously, a lot of media stuff and the players get measured and, and all those types of things. And so uh looking forward to the next, to spending next few days with you as we get ready for the, those quarterbacks throwing on uh Thursday night.
2: Well, so that's the great thing about it is I leave Thursday afternoon after the show. <laughs> I'm heading back home. It tells you a little bit about the combine, Sage, that... A lot of the stuff for reporters is happening before that when all the players are talking and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman are scheduled to talk on Tuesday morning. So by tomorrow's show, we'll be able to tell you everything that they said and what we could take away from that. And usually at the Combine They have provided quite a bit of information, information such as Sam Bradford's knee is totally shot. We're not sure if Teddy Bridgewater's knee is going to work. And uh, we think that Case Keenum was a fluke. That came from Mike Zimmer a couple of years ago. And also, the we're keeping Kevin Stefanski because I believe in loyalty came from Mike Zimmer a couple of years ago. And a contract extension from Zimmer came last year when I could not get there, as you alluded to, because of a plane. Hopefully no issues later today when I fly out to Indianapolis. But it is interesting about what the NFL Combine has become, Sage, because it isn't about me going and watching the quarterbacks throw media guys guys aren't even allowed to sit in there and watch them throw. It's much more about being there to talk with everyone in the NFL world and kind of seeing what comes out of it and learning about who's getting buzz in the draft and what free agent things might go on. All the agents are there. The Vikings are going to meet with all the agents for, you know, Kirk Cousins and Delvin Cook and so forth. And we'll talk about that a little later. But it is amazing what the NFL Combine is now, as opposed to even when you were In the NFL
3: Combine, yeah, you know the NFL Combine for one, uh, you know the Super Bowl is sort of the uh, you know end of the year grand finale, and and the fans and the and a lot of the players and celebrities come in. It's this whole huge event. The Combine is not that at all, but it also is the only sort of unique, total NFL event. When I mean NFL, it's it's the people working for the teams. It's the all you know a lot of the trainers will be here. The equipment manager will be here, of course, all the coaches most of the scouts and gms and you know owners are in and, and out or whatever and uh, but the actual work itself the real you know sort of what we think of as the combine the 40 yard dash and all the drills those things you might as well just watch on tv uh because you know rich eisen does a great job of of you know sort of talking about each the players and different things and and when you actually go to it in the dome itself it's extremely boring. It's like watching, uh, paint dry. So mm-hmm. the most important stuff for us is going to be that, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, uh Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and and, and Thursday, and, and do all that, you know, sort of media stuff beforehand as it leads into why all those people are here.
2: Yeah. A lot of times I've walked out of there when I've covered it and my plane worked, um, Feeling like I had a much better sense of what was going to happen with the Vikings offseason and what was going to happen with the Vikings draft and also just who these guys are. I try to pace myself throughout the NFL offseason where it's like, OK, the Super Bowl is over. Now we sort of pick things apart. What happened to the Vikings? What's their off season approach? And then this is our opportunity to dive headfirst into who all these prospects are. And I have a fun game for us later in the hour to help people get educated on a few of these prospects and you as well, because I know for this week, it's the same with you where you haven't, uh, you know, gone in head first and tried to figure out who all these prospects are yet because the draft isn't until April. So now we'll start to get a sense who lands where and, and where they should be in their mocks and who the surprise players might be. And, and there's always great stories that come out of the NFL combine. I mean, like Shaquille Griffin, the guy with one and a half arms who ran one of the fastest forties for a linebacker ever and ends up getting drafted, you know, so watching guys emerge from the combine and all the news that kind of leaks out as executives and scouts talk to different reporters and, and, and things like that. That's the fun part of the NFL combine much more than sitting there and watching over and over. Hey, you know, this offensive guard, he's got really great hips on TV. I mean, that doesn't do anything for me. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, you know, listen, the whole thing that this combine, but it really starts with the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl is the first shot for those fans whose teams are already out of the playoffs. What do we have coming back, or what? Are we, what, what are our shots next year? And the combine is sort of another aspect of that, a big aspect. And of course, then there's the draft. But for each of these teams uh, that that uh, that you know are trying to win a Super Bowl, who are the players that we could possibly add to our roster? So this is a sort of a, the beginning. Uh, of this, uh, you know, interesting process as teams contemplate what that, what happened last year. A lot of coaches have been hired. People have moved around. Okay. Now let's go out and try to find some players. And of course, th- this combine is, uh, is, is, is a major part of that. And it's, it's grown into a much bigger event. You know, when I was in school. It was not, uh, uh, on TV. Um, you know, it was, it was, you know, much simpler. The senior bowl, I, I think only the game was on TV. The practices weren't on TV either. So. Obviously, the NFL wants to make as much money as possible. Uh, and, you know, this is one of those ways of how can we make money? As I said, uh, the actual event itself, not the behind the scenes stuff, but the event itself, uh, that stuff is, is great TV and, and the Rich Eisen does a great job.
2: So you actually helped yourself in, at the NFL combine. Um, first of all, they measured your hands, which were very large. And, uh, that you, so you had all the measurables, your, tall, naturally, but you also ran a good 40 and had good athletic numbers and, and that helped you. Uh, how does it look different to you from when you were there to now, um, including the dress wear?
3: Well, the, yeah, the dress is completely different. Our, my t-shirt, everyone was swimming in their t-shirts. <laughs> uh, it was just those, you know, simple cotton, you know, somebody went uh, to Walmart and bought some $12 t-shirts or whatever <laughs> they were and threw, you know, a number on it. I mean, that's sort of what it was. Uh, and now of course it's, you know, skin tight and, and guys are wearing, you know, you know, anything to make them as quick and as mobile as possible. And yeah, it was just, it was, I think we just had shorts, just regular sort of baggy, uh, shorts last year, but I'm guessing a lot of the drills are probably very similar and all, uh, the, the, you know, the measurements and, and the throwing, you know, the different routes and things that they do imagine a lot of that stuff is pretty much stayed the same.
2: Now they are adding to the quarterbacks and what they throw um, smoke routes and fades. So they want to see guys get rid of the ball really quickly. And then they want to see them throw fades to the back of the end zone, which I would add for NFL teams, little uh, nugget for you. Fades are bad. Most of the time I know it helped yeah, the Vikings, so but they're usually statistically bad, even though I they won the somebody, game against new Orleans.
3: I think it. somebody wants to just, uh, uh you know, sort of laugh at Mina Kimes because she has on her Twitter feed that she hates the fade. It's like the end of her existence. She just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's like the thing that just annoys the heck out of her. The uh—the the goal line fade. So what? You know, we're gonna see if a quarterback can get the ball and throw it to a spot in the corner. You know, just like in the movies, because that's <laughs> what the goal line fade is all right. about. So, um, you know, it's—it's it's interesting. It's because you know all—you know almost all these throws. There's not much. Uh, like, natural reaction. But, you know, I think a lot of these scouts, they just want to see how guys move. Like, just, you know, truly, like, how do they move? Do they move like an athlete? How do they shift their weight? Uh You know, and those types of things. Not always about, uh, you know, how fast you are, how, how uh, uh what your times are and things. Sometimes it's just how you carry your weight as well. And, and uh, you know, there's, it's an interesting thing, the NFL combine, all these people go in there to, you know, see what these athletes are, but they don't actually play the game at all. Uh, you know, when, when you, you know, critique them.
2: Mm hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and every year there are, the great athletic freaks that end up fooling people into drafting them way higher than they should. And then everyone is disappointed. Now you are helping out Anthony Gordon, who is one of these draft prospects, who's going to be throwing there. So what, what, what is that like? I mean, working with a guy who is going through this, something that you went through and, uh, you know, trying to make an impression because he's a guy that's getting a little bit of buzz, especially when, you know, someone like pro football focus dives into his numbers and they show him as an intriguing prospect who may go day two or day three
3: yeah so you know my aspect of working with anthony was less of the physical uh side of it my partner will hewlett he's sort of like the throwing coach and way the best way to describe it is you know will teaches you how to hit you know have a nice swing and how to hit the golf ball i'm the one who teaches you how to play the course hmm. and so when he went to the senior bowl he had learned a, sort of a basic version of the west coast offense protections and fronts and cover, and how we call pass patterns and, and things like that. And some of the other offenses, too, like the North Turner number system that I was also in. So I had to sort of give him all this information. So when he went there, he actually, you know, understood sort of how what NFL teams do, because most NFL teams do a lot of the similar things. And right. so he would have this, you know, maybe almost a year, like it's almost like it took off that red shirt uh, because the coaches were now when they, when he comes in for those meetings and they're talking offense, you know, he had Daryl Bubble. In the senior bowl. Well, man, you know, I knew that offense. I knew Daryl's offense. So the fact that if he could, you know, day one sort of walk into that meeting, uh, uh, for those practices, he could call those plays. He under, there was not, there, you know, you you have a week to basically learn an offense. You go out, you have a couple of days to go out and practice. It's a really tough situation. So anyway, the combine thing for me is more the mental side, but will my man will, he's going to be there also sort of getting them loose a couple of nights and, and so they can throw a couple of times and. Of course, hopefully puts on a good performance out there on Thursday.
2: So you would have been in the meetings with teams. What is that like? Because that that's where Anthony Gordon is going to have to show off that he does know enough about NFL defenses to not necessarily step right in. He'd be a guy that would probably sit, but at least that he can understand some of that stuff and process it.
3: Well, there's all sorts of things. Teams have different sort of little mental tests you take to see how you process information, like actual, like. You know, psychologists or whatever there or, or that, you know, talk about how brains function and things like that. So how well you do all these different tests and, and reaction times and things to actual just interview with a quarterback's coach or interview with a coordinator or interview with the entire offensive coaching staff. When I was my biggest sort ever interview I did, the Kansas City Chiefs were looking for a quarterback. Uh, and I thought they were going to maybe draft me like in the second or third round, maybe the third round or something. And I walked in. It was everybody there—the GM, the head coach, um, Dick Vermeil, and the entire offensive coaching staff. It was like fifteen people in the room. Then there's also times where you like met with just a quarterback's coach, hmm. and you know, you, you talk to him for thirty minutes, right? So I think that you know, those are really interesting times to uh, you know try to you know show that you're a, a, a type of kid. Of course, you can say all the things like, "Yeah, I work hard" and blah blah blah, blah but I think there's an authenticity there also that, uh, you know, that probably helps uh, with some of those coaches and, and, and some of those owners and, and all the people in those rooms.
2: So how similar is it to uh, the John Gruden QB camps that I loved so much? And then John Gruden had to go take a hundred million dollars for the Vegas Raiders.
3: Um, you know, they're probably similar to that. You know, a lot of things is to try to teach them something and see how quickly they can learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. basically talk about something, Hey, here's trips, right. And, here's a simple play and this is what we call the protection and, and all right, now you go ahead. Tell me what I just said. You right. know, like that's, you do some of that stuff and the other things are just watching football with them. The, you know, the best way to learn of what these kids know is just to watch football with them. Mm-hmm. And you tell me what you are seeing. talk to me about the coverages here. What are you seeing? Talk to me about the past patterns. What's your read? Why you think that, why is, does your coach say that's what your read is, what you're looking for? What's your protection? And it's amazing what you get Hmm. from some of these college kids to others in the vast array of, of what they do, what they know and what they don't know from their college coaches.
2: You know what I enjoyed about the Gruden camp is that he would be kind of harsh on them sometimes. And they wouldn't always show that on the Sports Center version, but if you watch the full version that was a half an hour, he would ask them, "What happened there?" He would show their pick six or the Andrew Luck Spider-2-Eye Banana thing became very famous. "But why didn't you throw it to the fullback? Why did you try to go backside? You never go backside on Spider-2-Eye Banana." I mean, that's just a great scene, the all-time scene for that with with Gruden, but I would pick up on some things about the player's personality from the way that he would talk about them. And even Kirk Cousins, which was very interesting because Cousins turns into a Pro Bowl quarterback who's making a lot of money and surprises everyone having been the fourth round pick as opposed to RG3. But there's a moment in his interview with John Gruden where Gruden asks him why he fumbled the ball. And Kirk explains that... The referee didn't have a towel to wipe off the ball, so it was wet, and that's why he fumbled it. And John Gruden's like, are you seriously telling me that they didn't have a towel to give you? And it was just so quintessential Kirk Cousins personality of like, he's got all these things that he does really, really well, but then he's got this one thing where he can't acknowledge that maybe he should have asked for a towel first or that he could have done something wrong. And it is, is fascinating to watch Brock Osweiler came across as very aloof and just not really having any leadership skills. And, you know, it, it just, uh, Russell Wilson came off as about the most determined guy you were ever going to run into. And if you were just drafting off of that, you would have taken Russell Wilson and not worried about his, you know, his height. So I I find that to be really interesting of what comes out from those interviews. And then also what smoke screens come out. Remember last year, somebody had it out there that Kyler Murray was going to play baseball or that he didn't really love the game or something. And then he goes out there and has a great rookie year as the number one overall pick and looks really promising. So that's, I, I find that sage to be part of the fun too.
3: Yeah. It's an interesting, it's, I'm really interested to hear. You know, those meetings will probably occur on you know, a lot Tuesday and Wednesday, I would say, just sort of in the hotel or, you know, or, or, or whatever, the, whatever it might be. And I've, I've, again, obviously a lot of you guys start throwing on, on Thursday and then they work through the positions, you know, through the weekend. But those interviews are interesting. Hopefully I'll run to some of the quarterbacks, coaches, some of the coordinators and, and get their thoughts on some of these quarterbacks. So I've been watching a lot of these guys. I got a couple more to watch, uh, uh, today, this afternoon until you get here. And, uh, and, but, you know, I'm interested. I, I won't be able to interview them, right? But maybe I'll, I'll run to Kevin's Pavansky or maybe I'll run to some of these, you know, coaches that have interviewed these guys and, and get a little, uh, a little extra information.
2: And I don't know how it's scheduled yet. They sent us that, but I don't have it memorized for who's going to the podium when. But I like watching those too, seeing players come up and answer the questions and how they come across. I remember, Will Hernandez was a guy that we kind of obsessed over. Should they have picked Will Hernandez? They need better guards. And yeah, they definitely still need better guard play but Will Hernandez trying to convince everyone I can block in his own scheme and uh, the Vikings didn't believe him I guess and that's why they didn't pick him uh, and they wanted Frank Ragnow now instead but you know anyway so it's just like those little interesting moments give you some intel on what's going on what teams could be thinking and also what players think of their own game and it's, uh, it's all pretty interesting for reporters especially when we are in the desert for NFL news and this is our oasis um, I, I want I want to help you a little bit though Sage because there's going to be a lot of names floating around and things like that that you're going to hear a lot about and since you haven't draft prepped yet because once again it's in late April I've got some mocks here a couple of mocks from nfl.com you want to you want to know what the mocks say
3: Yes so go ahead let's <laughs> see what they say Are
2: you desperate to find out what the mocks say I'm most interested in the
3: quarterbacks, but sure, let's let's see. Well, I'd, of course, I'd love to know what they have for the Vikings.
2: Okay, all right. Well, then I will tell you the top five for these two mocks. One is from Chad Reuter from NFL.com. The other one is NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. So Chad Reuter's mock has Joe Burrow going number one, naturally. Chase Young going number two. Tua goes number three. And how about this? He has... The Los Angeles Chargers picking Justin Herbert number four and Jeff Akuta going to the Lions number five with an obvious trade down from the Lions and uh with the Miami Dolphins, them swapping picks. So he's even got trades, which is getting like galaxy brain mock here. But what what do you think of that top five?
3: Uh well, I think Herbert's gonna get drafted too high. I you know, watched enough I think enough film on him, but we'll see how it ends up going, but there's some you know things I just see in his game which are, he's not consistently accurate and really short stuff. He's got this really strong arm, but he seems to be pretty inaccurate. Um, uh, you know, doesn't have great timing and, and things like that. So I sort of look at him as a guy who could be like the Brady Quinn of this draft, sure. like a guy that everyone thinks is a first-rounder that probably isn't a first-rounder. And um, But I could be completely wrong. So he's a, he's a very good athlete. He's got a really strong arm. Uh, you know, he could be like a Josh Allen or, or something like that, the Buffalo quarterback, but I just don't see him as a guy. I really like to, I'm concerned about injury stuff, but he's a really accurate, you know, quarterback is quick when it, with the way he moves around the pocket and Joe Burrow. I was at a, I was at a, a party there and at a birthday party, I was talking to a buddy and we were talking about Joe Burrow and he goes, you know, Joe Burrow reminds me a little of Joe Montana. Oh wow. Like you just, well, you just like, He's not, Joe Montana wasn't flashy, sure. but he was sneaky athletic in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Montana was a good, like, basketball player in high school, and he was really accurate and just sort of seemed to put the ball where it needed to be and, and find the right guy, and it was sort of cool and calm, and blah, and it's like, you know, yeah, you can sort of, I'm not trying to say the guy's gonna be Joe Montana, but you, you do sort of see that with Joe Burrow. He doesn't have plays that just blow you away it just sort of seems like time and time again, he's, you know, throwing the ball in the end zone for touchdowns. And, of course, Montana was a great quarterback that didn't have some, you know, huge arm and and he couldn't run a 4 4 either. Right. So uh, but, uh, you know, he was, of course, w- one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest out of them, probably at this point, Tom Brady.
2: Yeah, the accuracy for Burrow really pops off the screen and he is sort of like breaking the pro football focus metrics for his senior year with how accurate he was. Um, Baker Mayfield was a guy who had similarly high numbers and, and Burrow was even better. There's another quarterback in here in in Chad Reuters first round mock that really took me by surprise. But then I looked up the guy's height and it made sense. Jacob Eason from Washington mm. who I have watched none of. I, I didn't see yes. him play at all. But he's 6-6. So you just can never be surprised if someone is 6-6 and they end up in a first round mock draft.
3: <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to get get uh, I'm going to watch him. He's there's like three guys left I want to watch and spend some time on him. And he's a guy I have not gotten to, but uh, of course, uh you know he will have those tangible numbers that I'm sure people will really like. So uh, we'll see how he throws. We see how, how he interviews, and I got to see how he played in in, in college football uh, to make any assumptions. But you know, maybe maybe, we can, maybe he's one of the guys we're going to talk about on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm really surprised to see his name up there, but I mean, teams have started to figure this out that drafting a quarterback. A, they also have Jordan Love in this mock going 23rd. That even if it's risky, it's probably better. Than drafting other positions, if you need one, like you should just keep taking shots because none of us are super good at picking out which guys are going to be great and which guys aren't. And if you nail it, then you end up in the Super Bowl. So uh, it, it does make sense. But I'm surprised to see his name there because I haven't in any other mock draft. Now for the Vikings, they have Minnesota taking Trayvon Diggs, Stephon Diggs's brother, who went to Alabama and is also ridiculous at football and fits the exact Mike Zimmer profile of a tall cornerback. It just makes too much sense. The guy goes to Bama. He's tall. He could play press coverage and he's related to Stefan Diggs who doesn't seem to be super happy, but maybe this would make him happy.
3: You know, that is interesting by the way. It's almost like in recruiting for college football. Sometimes they're like, Offer this great player than offer his buddy too, who's like a one-star <laughs> recruit, yeah. uh, to come to the school. It's just sometimes that, that's just the way it goes. But uh, it would be nice to uh, sort of keep that Diggs family in Minneapolis. And I, I got to think the Vikings will be looking at corner because corners are so important in, in their defense. And you know, nothing's yet, but I'm thinking they're moving away from Xavier Rhodes. So well, you know, maybe we'll hear something at the combine but that's got to be you know something what he graded out so low what was 125 132 corners in the nfl last year with that salary i just can't imagine him you know coming back so the vikings will, will need another corner and and uh and, and maybe we'll keep both those digs is uh, in minneapolis for for years to come
2: now before we take a break daniel jeremiah's mock which is different Than Chad Reuters' mock because everyone has a mock, and we're going to do draft sims which are different than mocks, also. Anyway, uh, he has the Vikings taking Javon (laughs) Kinlaw, who is a defensive tackle with dominant traits. So he would be like your guy that is what Sharif Floyd was supposed to be. Uh, In the unfortunate situation with Sharif Floyd having a botched surgery that ended his career, and he was a guy who could play all three downs. He could rush the passer. He could stuff the run. And Javon Kinlaw is supposed to be that way. Uh, I wonder what we think of taking a defensive tackle though that high if other corners are there because I, cornerback. If you don't have them, you're in a lot of trouble.
3: Yes, but you know, like Xavier Rhodes, uh, you know, Lindell Joseph, he did not grid out high either. Right. He also has a high salary. That that's in a position that probably needs to be upgraded if you can you know get uh, you know a 70 percent of an Aaron Donald in the first round I'd love to have that all right so you know they, they could maybe use some that's a little bit more disruptive a little bit better pass rusher you know from from the inside and and uh, is a little more stout against the run than Lindell played at least this past year so he, obviously he's been very very solid for the Vikings for a long long time so the Vikings have have some holes I'm, I'm sure they could add another interior offensive lineman at some point, of course, probably lower in the draft. Uh, but, you know, what are they going to do with their quarterback with the long-term situation? You know, are they going to extend Cousins? Are they just going to, you know, maybe draft somebody or just sort of play it out and go year to year? And, you know, possibly in a year from now, the Vikings will decide just to completely start over. Uh, at that quarterback position. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens.
2: Well, let's talk about it next because I've written an article, Five Things to Watch for at the Combine, and that includes Kirk Cousins' potential contract extension. But uh, we'll just take a look at some of the things we'll be keeping our ear to the ground for for news at the NFL Combine with the Vikings when we return. Also, I've got a fun game that will help educate you on some of the prospects that are out there uh, in Indianapolis. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Sage Rosenfels is in Indianapolis, where I will join him later on today. Matthew Collar, as always, with you. And for the next three days, we will be broadcasting there from Indy with such guests as Courtney Cronin and others. Uh, we don't know who the others are yet, Sage, but we will definitely have others for sure.
3: We, well, that was what I was doing last year. The others were. I tried to uh, get some of the media people, Alex Marvez, he was a South Florida guy, he's a SiriusXM uh, radio show, I think James Palmer, Tom Pelissaro maybe. I feel like I tried to grab some of those national uh, uh, TV and, and radio people as well to – come on our show and talk to Vikings. I really enjoyed that. Hopefully we'll have a couple of those little segments as well.
2: Yeah, for your first shot as a journeyman correspondent, you did a really great job in Indy, and now I will be there to help. Um, So I I wrote an article for our website, our free website, scorenorth.com, the things to watch for with the Vikings at the NFL Combine this week. And it really starts with... Who's going to be here, Sage? I mean, we've been discussing this for a little while, but with, you know, Everson Griffin is now a free agent. Anthony Harris is a free agent, Trey Wayans, but also contract extensions for Delvin Cook and for uh, Kirk Cousins, possibly. Where do you start if you're the Vikings? They have to be the busiest team in the entire NFL with all their meetings with agents. And then there's also trade talks that happen every year at the NFL Combine. And there's a few guys, even including someone like Kyle Rudolph, that I feel like could surprise us. And I also think that we're going to find out if the Stefan Diggs rumors, if you will, or just made up speculation, have anything to do with, with reality, like if they, if they are actually talking to people about trading Stefan Diggs, we're going to find out.
3: Yeah. Well, that's this thing is that, you know, at the combine, it's, it's not just the athletes and the coaches and the trainers and equipment people and sort of the organizations and then the media. It's also the agents. It's also that whole aspect of, of this sport of you know, negotiating contracts that are currently going on. And of course, representing these guys who are. Gonna be out there doing those drills. So those agents, uh, again, you know, less than like the Super Bowl or something like that, but their, their value here is incredibly important because they're, they know all these NFL teams are here. The GMs are all here probably for the entire week. I, I would think four or five days at least. Uh, and that's their chance to sit down, talk about a negotiation issue or a contract issue or whatever and see if we can't, you know, some of that early negotiation stuff that we all know occurs before free agency starts. In March and, and, uh, you know, people start probably talking about the, the draft and all those types of things. And so, I mean, Cincinnati, I, I guess could be negotiating with, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of these different, uh, players. If, you know, if they don't feel like they could sign Burrow, do they, mm-hmm. they start, yeah. start negotiating now with the, 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 uh, the defensive end from Ohio State, Chase Young. So, you know, we'll see, you know, uh, that this is that agent thing is a very much a big part of this process. Uh, and the GMs are there to look at the athletes, but this is, Uh, very much a part of why they're there too.
2: Who do you think comes back for the Vikings of their players who are either free agents or likely cuts like you referred to with Xavier Rhodes or Linval Joseph? So you've got, you know, Anthony Harris, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, Everson Griffin, and then those other two out of that group that has been here for a really long time altogether, which ones would you think are the most likely to return?
3: Well, what what is the Everson Griffin situation? Did he void his contract or something like yes, that? Yes. Did I so see he's that a free agent. Day? Yep, he's a free. So agent. So he is a free agent. So that's you know he was he made fourteen and a half million dollars this year. Um I'm sure tr- uh, you know I don't know Trey. I'm trying to think of who's expensive, who's not expensive, and and I'm sort of looking at the my little list in front of me here. Um You know, Eric Wilson's a restricted free agent. If I'm another team, somebody should get I'd be, him. I'd be, I'd be yeah. interested in, and in, you know, I think he's a starter in this league, but um you know, I, I think they're going to try to move on at that defensive end position, see if they can find somebody else, maybe have a couple guys, uh, you know, play that role. I, I think they'd probably didn't want to pay Everson that money. He did have a better year this past year, but I don't know what uh, Wayne's is going to be expensive. I love the way Anthony Harris played, but you know, it's hard to have two sort of star safeties from a, a salary standpoint right and 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 so you already have one obviously with Harrison Smith and so do you pay a second guy and have two two that's a lot of money at that which I think safety is very important but that's just a lot of money at that position usually teams have sort of a number that they don't want to sort of over allocate to a certain position because mm-hmm. they don't think that's the model for winning and the question is they want to pay him or do they think they can find somebody else whether cheaper in free agency or in this draft that could possibly play that play his position, but he was very very good this year.
2: So, your opinion as a quarterback, if a team has an elite safety or two elite safeties or good corners, I mean, what 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 causes more problems for you? Is I think that the Vikings are going to ask this question: Is Anthony Harris and his combination with Harrison Smith is that causing more problems than say Trey Wayans would for opposing quarterbacks?
3: Well, I I think with with anthony harris is that he is a i think a, a good true free safety you know uh harrison smith is so good around the football and near the line of scrimmage he, you know he's good in the secondary as well but when he's up sometimes playing like as a linebacker as blitzing you know that's where he is so good so on the opposite of that you have to have a guy a true free safety a true middle guy and anthony harris is that so it's important to have a you know, star guy you, know, you play against like um you know an, an ed reed uh, but you know, the other guy, I just remember like, there, he wasn't a star. So if any way we could attack that guy, you know, Ed Reed, you know, he was, a, he was a troublemaker. And so I don't know if it's important to have two safeties or two. I, I'd love to have two good corners. I tell you that I'd love to have yeah. two just at the minimum solid corners. Uh, it'd be nice to, you know, find maybe a, a young guy who steps in and then, you know, this draft could definitely use for the Vikings, uh, you know, one of those fourth, fifth, six-round guys that ends up being like a Stefan Diggs. It'd be really nice in this draft to find a star, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a diamond in the rough, uh, lower in the draft. That would be huge for this football team because we there's a lot of spots here that we think we're, we're going to need some new starters next year and they can't fill them all with free agency.
2: That's right. And a lot of difficult conversations are going to happen in those meeting rooms with the agents because the Vikings just don't have the money to spend. So they really do have to have someone click or even someone like Holton Hill be able to step up at, at some point and take over the job. But I can't exactly trust the guy who got suspended eight games last year. You've got to have other players who are coming in and maybe have a chance to start. But that puts you a little bit at risk when you're a win-now team. Messing around with the cornerback position, I think, is, is very, very dangerous, Sage. Now, so I was looking at a study um, by pro football focus that is, uh, that caught my eye here about which positions are the hardest to project. And actually corner is one of those that teams have better luck in terms of where they draft them and how they work out. So when the Vikings draft Mike Hughes in the first round, I, I'll say that I'm guilty of this too. A lot of us thought that other positions might've needed help. And I think we've been justified about the guard position still needing help. But when you draft Mike Hughes at the 20, whatever it was picked, well, let's say I th- it, may, it might've been 30. You've got a better chance of him turning out than a lot of other positions. It's one of the least volatile positions. And that really strengthens the argument for me that they do need to draft a first round corner or a second round corner who should be expected to step in pretty quick because not only do they need it, but it's also a little bit lower risk than some other spots.
3: Yeah, you know, that cornerback position is interesting. And when they drafted Mike Hughes, you you see why they drafted him. He's, you know, he's, he's pretty physical, strong for a smaller guy, but he's obviously super fast and very explosive to probably help a little bit on special teams too. And obviously his injury has made a detriment and he hasn't, you know, played up to a level of of a first rounder, but just the fact that they were going to have three first round draft picks at the one position where you really start two. Uh, you know that would seem to be like, you know, man, do they really need to go after him at this time? Because, as you were saying, they needed help along the offensive line and, and some other positions, and so, uh, and, and also on top of it, you know, that is the head coach's specialty. Uh, and you know, th- so these guys are first runners One, you're, they're they should be very talented. Uh, but two, then they need to develop under really good coaching. And and uh, you know, we saw a lot of good years out of Xavier Rhodes. Wayne's has been good but not great, mm-hmm. and obviously Mike Hughes has been. I don't know, a mix of good and okay, I guess, and, and, and injured. So, um, you know, we'll have to see what they do with that position. But in this defense, you got to have good corners because he likes to play single safety, he likes to play man-to-man, and, and those guys have to be able to sort of hold their own uh, until that pass rush gets to the quarterback.
2: Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think that you can have a great defense without really, really good cornerback play, even if you have everything else clicking. And this year was evidence of that, that Eric Kendricks is playing like an all-pro. So is Anthony Harris. So is Harrison Smith. And yet still, your defense got lit up a number of times just because of attacking really those two players. And, and Wayne's... He went under the radar a bit for his play this year because we were all looking at, at Xavier Rhodes getting smoked so often, but Wayne's wasn't particularly good, and he really never has been. If you're spending $10 million on him, you're kind of desperate to make sure that somebody that you know is still on the team. Uh, if you're Mike Zimmer, I don't think that he's really anywhere near worth that, but we've also seen how big of a hit it can be if your cornerbacks don't play well. So let me let me run through this... Um, this study by pro football focus in terms of which positions that they ha- teams have had the most success in-, in being predictive of running back. No surprise is very little. Like that's one you should stay away from in terms of thinking that you can pick out the guy that's going to be the great player. Trent Richardson might be a good example of this. Even Leonard Fournette is just kind of another guy in the league and he was a mega prospect Um, And then we see people like Alvin Kamara become stars in the third round. So that's one to stay away from. Surprisingly, along the offensive line, I don't know if there's any explanation for this, Sage. Offensive tackles, teams are pretty good with. But guards and centers, they're pretty bad with. And if we were going to criticize the Garrett Bradbury pick from last year, this might be a way to do it. That picking centers high is not maybe the the best thing to do.
3: Yeah, teams have never you know pick centers that high traditionally but you know probably guards almost as you know almost as, as as rare uh most teams sort of focus on those tackles but occasionally you do see those uh, centers and guards in the first round usually not in the top 15 picks usually lower than that but you know on occasion seems like some of those guys are coming from the University of Iowa they seem to have a lot of first of round time. and second yeah. round offensive linemen just sort of year in year out and I think it's because, you know, Kirk Ferentz does a great job. He truly is a pro offensive line coach in college football. And those guys are sort of from day one, very well prepared. And, and they run, you know, very, very much NFL style plays and, and, and schemes and things like that. So, you know, you get a guy who doesn't have a great line coach in college, it might take three years to, to really teach him how to truly be in balance and have great footwork and, and the way they step and their hand placement and all those types of things. Uh, to where a guy has you know four and a half years, uh, you know playing under Kirk Ferentz at the University of Iowa. So you know that's just respect for him. But you know, I, anyway, Iowa always seems to have a a first or a second rounder as a as a guard or even a tackle. And and uh, you know the Vikings, I think, did probably reach a little bit on Brad Ray, Bradbury. They needed help. They needed a center. Yeah. Uh, but the question was, was he the guy and and at that high of a pick?
2: Yeah. And the thing that we saw from Garrett Bradbury that was. Uh, something that he just would never have faced in college is purely dominant, massive... Unreal strength nose tackles. Someone like Kenny Clark is not repeatable in college. There's no amount of underwear Olympics that you can do to tell me whether you're going to be able to handle that guy. And and even Grady Jarrett, right off the bat in week one, just dominates him. And who's got the quickness on the interior of someone like Grady Jarrett? There isn't anyone who can help you prepare for that. And in some ways, I look at it the same as quarterbacks who are facing college defenses versus NFL defenses or running college offenses versus NFL offenses is there's such a huge gap that it becomes really hard to apply and say hey you know this Garrett Bradbury he had a good game against Clemson so he must be able to handle the NFL guys yeah well Dexter Lawrence who is their nose tackle is a mid-pack NFL nose tackle in his first year he's nowhere close to someone like Kenny Clark that you're going to face twice a year or Eddie Goldman with his size. And those are the guys that just mauled Garrett Bradbury. So you could see why that would be risky. And I, and I think the same thing applies for this year. Everyone wants the Vikings to take a guard, but I don't know that you want to do that with the 25th pick.
3: Well, but you know, it would be, it would be nice to have somebody to sort of help out that center. And I think Bradbury he will be the center. I think going forward, I, I tell you what, if, yeah, I'm sure he spent a lot of time this off season watching, uh, you know, the film from last year. Got all these all the experience now. I'm hoping that Garrett Bradbury, after about 12 years as the Viking center, looks back and goes, "Man, my rookie year is amazing. <laughs> what I didn't know. Yeah. Yep. And as as I, you know, gone from one, you know, year one to year two, and and maybe changes his weight room regimen where he gets a little bit stronger or, or something. But I mean, obviously, he was pretty good in, in run blocking. Uh, for Dalvin Cook to have that type of season, the Vikings rushing attack and offense just to be that good this year. The center had to play pretty well, at least in the running game. Uh, and obviously we all know this, his pass protection is what really made him struggle last year. But that's part of the, that's part of the challenge of when you have light offensive linemen, including a, a light center.
2: Yeah. And you make a good point. And I, I think that it's worth noting that as excited as we are to be, you're there now and I'll be there soon at the combine that, Oftentimes, if you're hoping a guy late in the first round is going to make a huge impact right away, it doesn't often happen that if you are in win-now mode as a team that has been a contender you better hope that your team as is can be that contender and not rely on your first pick. I mean, you look at what the first picks for the Vikings have done recently. Delvin Cook tore his ACL the first year. So did Mike Hughes. Laquan Treadwell had one catch his first year. What your team is in free after free agency is really the way you should project your team unless you're drafting a quarterback that's going to start right away. But even then, they're starting for a bad team. So you're probably going to be what you're going to be. And I know that is a little bit of cold water on uh, the the draft and how exciting it is, but that's usually the story is the guy, if he's not a top five or top 10 pick is probably not going to change how many wins you have for next season.
3: Yeah. But then sometimes you have a guy who's a seventh rounder who ends up being this, you know, game changer for your football team and your franchise. I mean, just, that's just the way the you know, football is crazy. So um, we will see what the Vikings do we're a long way from the draft. this combine is a part of the process. can't see how I can't wait to see how some of these players start testing and and also get to know or sort of know them better and and uh, n- not just being an in indie but of course watching it uh, on, you know on TV when I'm not here but just to sort of hear some of these names see how these guys tested but also hear some of the sort of the reviews from you know various coaches or, or scouts or or what some of the talking heads will say on TV after, you know, all these workouts. So, uh, you know, there there are a lot of, uh, you know, to me it's all about really the film and what guys put on film, but it is nice to have these numbers and and it gives some credibility uh, to some of these GMs and, and why they drafted people and, and what they saw and how that matched up and if a guy really was fast, if he was really worth, you know, that first-round pick or whatever. So it's an interesting time of year and, and looking forward to seeing these players this week.
2: All right, so before we wrap up, and then I run out to get on a plane, um, I have a little game for you to help you get acquainted with a handful of these uh, prospects, one of whom you already know on my list here. But I've got six players, and I have five of whom I have picked through their NFL.com profiles and have grabbed some information. And I'm going to ask you to match up which one you think is which. So I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you what I've taken from their description on NFL.com. And then you have to pick which is which. So the players are Austin Jackson an offensive lineman from USC Zach bond, who is a linebacker from Wisconsin, Washington state quarterback, Anthony Gordon, who, you know, Ross Blacklock from TCU. He's a defensive lineman, long snapper, Ferguson Blake and wide receiver KJ Hill. So I am going to read you what I took away from the description and you have to tell me which one is which. Okay, here we go. First player has quote too much hunching into his forward punch. And he is also known for missing time because he donated bone marrow to his sister. Who is that prospect?
3: Uh, that'd be an offensive lineman. Whoever the offensive line was. there one offensive lineman in that group.
2: There is. Yes.
3: Whoever the offensive lineman was. Okay, that's that, is, was. that
2: is Austin Jackson. That is the guy. Okay. And by the way, I emailed you the players. So you should have them in front of you. I'm just saying. Uh, the, okay. Next player has a quote, dangerous burst. And he quote, bend whips, tardy tackles. He was also a former dual-threat quarterback in high school. Who is this prospect?
3: KJ Hill, wide receiver, Ohio State.
2: That is incorrect. You want to take another guess?
3: Um give me some give me some of those details
2: again. Okay, he has a quote dangerous burst and quote bend whips tardy tackles. Is these were all written on nfl.com.
3: Well, I don't know what that means.
2: I don't either. That's why I put it in here.
3: <laughs> but he was a quarterback in high school.
2: He was a dual threat quarterback, not just a quarterback. Could mm. run as well, just like you.
3: How about Ferguson Blake, the long snapper? Uh,
2: that is incorrect. It is Zach <laughs> Bond, the linebacker, and apparently it means something about his bend around the edge.
3: And Got you. not
2: tackles as in being tackled, but as in playing tackle. All right.
3: This this is this is scout talk. So
2: you are Oh, for two, <laughs> uh, and this is where, no, I got, the oh, offense, I got the offense. I got the, oh, no, no, sorry. One I for two. One for two. Yeah. Sorry. One for two. Yeah. Uh, our next player was a 36th round draft pick in major league baseball. He has quote heavy legs and hasn't yet quote played enough chess. Who would this be? Major league baseball draft pick heavy legs. Hasn't played enough chess. Which one of our draft prospects would that be?
3: What in the world <laughs> hasn't played enough chess? He
2: has not played uh, enough chess.
3: The, I don't know the uh, the D lineman from TCU, Ross Blacklock.
2: It is not. It is actually your guy Anthony Gordon, the quarterback. And you'll have to I, ask him about his baseball career. What I'm trying to think about
3: you? the he- oh the heavy legs. I get it. Well, he's not like a big hitcher in the pocket. A lot of times I like to sort of stand there almost like a statue.
2: Yeah.
3: I should have known that, Anthony Gordon. That no, makes sense.
2: I thought the thirty-sixth round draft pick in Major League Baseball would probably be a hint as if, like, who would have... A the heavy
3: legs team. confused me. Yeah. I was thinking, like, a D-liner or Fair something. Fair
2: enough. One for three. Uh, our next guy, this player's father toured with the Harlem Globetrotters, and he is also known to, quote, change speed and stride lengths to loosen the edge football, everyone football. That's why we're here. In and that's,
3: that's Ross, uh, Blacklock, the D lineman.
2: The, yeah, that's correct. Good job. You knew what it meant to change stride length to loosen the edge. Yes. Okay. Uh,
3: no, but, uh, <laughs> loosen the edge sounds like it's a more of a de- defensive term.
2: All right. Yeah. Our la- our last guy. So you are two for four. Can you be above 500 here? <sighs> This player is a type 1 diabetic who raises awareness about the issue. So, good job to this guy. And he also needs to, quote, increase his mass, and he is not position flexible.
3: That's Ferguson Blake, yes, the long snapper. Right.
2: I figured that was too easy, but I had to include something that would hint toward the long position
3: snapper. Position flexible. He is
2: not position flexible. You will not be seeing Ferguson Blake, the long snapper playing linebacker is what they're saying. And um, congratulations to him on raising awareness about the issue of type one diabetes. He was at uh, LSU. The only guy that I did not include was KJ Hill. I figured I had to throw some descriptions in there that might sound like a wide receiver. So good job. Now you're ready. You're ready for the combine now.
3: 500, just like my, uh, my quarterback record.
2: No, you're above, you're above 500, which by the way, you should petition pro football reference to be a 7-6 and six quarterback because you came off the bench and led a 20-point win against Buffalo that they did not give you credit for in the win-loss record. Did you know that? This is
3: true. I also had a game where I came in at halftime, Gus Rod got hurt, and it was 10-10, to 10 and we won, uh, I believe, 24-21. to 21. I threw two touchdowns in the second half, so... Did not get ready for that win either.
2: That is unfortunate. Okay, Sage. Well, great stuff. I'm really looking forward to getting down there and we can hobnob with the NFL elites at the um, Underpants Olympics or the whatever it is now, I guess. It is uh, quite the scene uh, in Indianapolis. So I will be there soon. Sage, hold tight. And um, then we'll have a fun week, man.
3: Sounds good. See you soon.
2: All right. We'll come back and... uh, We'll talk with Myron Metcalf about some CBA things, but we'll make them fun. I promise we'll be right back here. Uh, you listen to purple daily on score North. All right. Hour number two of purple daily, Matthew Collar here on score North and joining me now from ESPN, Myron Metcalf. What's going on, Myron? How are you doing, man? Uh, you know, doing all right, doing all right. Just uh, getting my stuff packed, getting ready to go and, um, you know, you hear all the stories from Indianapolis about people hanging out with the NFL executives at restaurants and things like that. And I am much more of let me find a couch inside of the convention <laughs> center that's away from everyone else so I can, you know, write my stories on my laptop and not be bothered or bother <laughs> anyone else. Like <laughs> I, I am not that person at all.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, what's interesting though, it sounds like fewer NFL execs are even going. It sounds like the Combine, for whatever reason, isn't attracting the same uh, crowds from NFL teams for whatever reason.
2: Well, I think part of it is that you can watch all the workouts in HD. So it isn't yeah. like, you know, you have to actually be there and be taking notes when you can go back and watch it from several camera angles if you want, if you're an NFL team. And and the biggest thing about this has become much more just the interviewing of players and then the team's executives meeting with agents, which the Vikings are going to have a full slate of things that they have to do, uh, which we can definitely get into. But another thing, Myron, that's looming around the NFL Combine is collective bargaining talks, and that's an unusual element to this, that uh, the NFLPA, I believe, is meeting maybe Wednesday to get together um, to talk again about the initial proposal from the owners, and the proposal from owners is what we Thought it was Alex Boone, who worked with the NFL PA when he was a player, was talking the other day about how when owners are really excited to get a proposal out there and really excited to have media write about their proposal, something might be a little <laughs> off. And as more details started to come out about the next collective bargaining agreement, it became more and more clear that this was not something that was going to happen quickly and easily.
1: Wait, you think, uh, owners having a sense of urgency? That could be a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what right. when does that ever happen? No, it's to me, I just look at how different this process is compared to the NBA. And I bring up the NBA because I think a lot of these young guys in the NFL, that's what they want. You know, they see the big deals and they're going mad. I, I want that big pile of guaranteed money. It's just not realistic. And I think as much as we, understand that the owners are pushing this forward because it's advantageous to them. I also asked Kyler, like, what can the players do to push back? Because I don't think they have that many alternatives. I, I did some math because I did uh, uh, an ESPN show and I talked about just the comparisons. In the NBA, 51% of the players in that league are making at least $5 million a year. Wow. In the NFL, it's just over 19%. Hmm. In the NBA, 31% of the players in that league, just under 400 players, are making $10 million a year. In the NFL, it's under 10% of the players in that league. So in the NBA, NBA your stars can go forward. Your money guys can go forward and say, look, we'll shut down this entire league, and we've got the money to to go through a strike. Uh, you're not going to break us as a league. Whereas in the NFL, if one out of every 10 guys is making $10 million, there's just no way that you can really do anything to force the owners, ownership's hand. So uh, as much as we're criticizing ownership and understand that this is for them and, and they're going to get the better end of the deal, it seems like, I just don't know what players can do to to really change anything and get anything else that they want.
2: Now, one thing that is different that I think the players can use is just how short the season is. If you're NBA players and you miss the first 20 games of the season, as long as you're not Sean Kemp and you just eat that entire time, that is a real throwback reference there. But when he came back with the Cavs after the lockout, it was so bad. But as long as you don't have that issue, a shortened hockey season, a shortened basketball season does anybody notice if they're not playing in late October Uh, with the NFL, there would be so much pressure on both sides, of course, but the owners to, to play those games and not lose that money. And I don't know the details of uh, the TV contracts and whether they're still guaranteed, but you would think that the networks would push hard on the owners to try and get something done. So they do have, that type of level of urgency that I, that I think matters. And I, and I think that the players can use that. Like you guys don't want to do long-term damage to your product because you should already be a little concerned about long-term with your NFL product with concussions and injuries and and things like that. Not that I'm saying that football is going anywhere anytime soon. It's just, if you're concerned about long-term, you can look back at a stoppage of baseball where when they lost the world series, I think it did some serious damage and baseball probably lost a lot of money because of it. NFL owners have that type of pressure of, do you really want to turn away some people from the game? Because whether it's the vitriol is toward the players or the owners, if fans do get upset and turn away from the game because they miss a full season or something like that, then that's the best I think that they could possibly do in terms of negotiating.
1: But but I guess my point is, if the players can't afford to hold out, sure, yeah, and yeah. then, then that becomes the challenge because, sure, in an ideal world, if you could hold out for an entire season, I mean, that to me would be the only way is to say, look, we're going to show you what happens when we're not on the field and how it hurts your bottom line. But I don't think the players have enough money, you know, at the end of the day, to to do that. I think we are, we see professional athletes. And I think sometimes we put them in the same category as Fortune 500 CEOs or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just not realistic. Yeah, a lot of these guys are making lifetime generational money, but a bunch of them are making the kind of money where, sure, it's more than you and I, but it's all not the kind of money where you just take off for a year and you're good. I mean, these guys have to keep working. So that to me is the is the disadvantage. And I'm curious what you thought. J.J. Watt comes out and he says, basically acting like he speaks for everybody, it's a hard no from me, he tweets, about the CBA. But, like, he's got $100 million he's made over the course yeah, of his career. Sure. Like, J.J. Watt doesn't represent the rank and file. He represents J.J. Uh, Watt and the other rich guys in the league. So I don't think if a lot of people were looking at that and going, oh, man, that's going to have an impact. Not on the other 50-plus guys on that team who aren't making that kind of money. They right, need to right. work. So well, I think that to me is the difference.
2: One thing I would say is that the 20% that you were talking about that does make over 5 million or, or whatever the, the number was, that there there are uh, a decent amount of guys who, who make that much and a lot of other players who have much bigger contracts like J.J. Watt, those guys tend to have the biggest say in, in terms of, what way the players go. So even if they were getting pressure from your J-Ron curses and, I don't know, Anthony Harris before he gets paid, those players, it's the stars who really run the league. And we sort of found that out last time that, um, if I remember correctly, the players, when they were doing their negotiations, Drew Brees and Peyton Manning were heavily involved. And a lot of people were looking at it like, they're really only representing the top you know, quarter of the league in terms of the guys who have gotten paid. But at the same time, those are the guys who make the league matter. And, and no offense to the J-Ron curses and the guys who are making $900,000 per year and have probably set themselves up a little, um, you know, not not super well in terms of I'm not set for life or set for the next couple of years because I made 900,000, which probably translates to 400,000 by the time everything's taken out of it. Um, but it's the stars who make the league go round. So it's, you know, Patrick Mahomes at at some point is not says he's not going to play. And I know he doesn't have his deal yet, but I'm sure he's doing okay with endorsements or, you know, Drew Brees says, I'm not going to go out and play. Those are the guys that you can't replace. And the XFL shows us very clearly that you cannot replace uh, great, <laughs> the great quarterback, play and the stars of this league so so that's where I, I do think that those guys swing a pretty big hammer that they're the ones especially the quarterbacks and and we've gotten that way, maybe even more than we've ever been in this league, where the the superstars and 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 that twenty percent really determine whether you win or lose. And you can replace a lot of those other positions, as we see really good, you know, defensive linemen and corners and and even some wide receivers in the XFL. But there's one good quarterback, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and so. Uh, you know, I, I think that they have maybe more power than they've ever had before because the rich guys are super insane rich and they're the ones who are going to make these decisions. Now I was reading this morning from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN that the leadership though is divided even within themselves, which I'm sure owners probably, uh, love to see it. Um, They hate to see that, but, uh, (laughs) right, Uh, about the 17 game season and, and that's where I think it is tough for the players to decide because if you're one of those guys that thinks you're going to be in the league for a really long time, if you are Patrick Mahomes, you're like, yeah, give me 17 of these because uh, I'm going to make so much extra money. But if you're maybe not that guy, you think that could take a pretty big toll on my body and I'm a little concerned about how long I'm even going to be in the league if I'm playing 17 games.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a real thing. And it, it goes against every conversation we've been having about health and wellness for NFL players. So it it just doesn't make sense in terms of, okay, let's add another game and put these guys at risk again. And my theory is this, I think you're going to go with 17 games into the final stretch of the season. And this can even happen during the season where you're going to have to consider load management potentially for players. Like you're going to have to really ask yourself, do I want my starting quarterback playing 17 games? Uh, what's the risk attached to that? And I think you'll start to see more of that because it, it will force NFL teams to manage players in just ways they haven't had to do that. Is there an additional bye week with that? Like what happened there, Kyle? That's a long, yep. long season. And I think about the Baltimore Ravens that I, we've talked about this. Lamar Jackson hadn't played for 22 days when he met the Titans in the NFL playoffs. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar Jackson and a bunch of the Baltimore starters had not been on the NFL, the NFL field in a live game for 22 days. Now imagine extending that if you get the top seed, Oof, right. and now that's 29 days? Yeah, Are you kidding me? You're out for a month, and then you come back to play? You don't think those guys are at risk in that situation? So I, I do think players have every right to be concerned, and I understand why they're divided because – that's an extra game in a league where guys, because most guys don't have this money that where they're set for life, you get hurt and it shortens your career. Uh, that could be it. I know guys who played a couple of years in the NFL. It didn't change their lives financially. Mm-hmm. They had to go find and do something else. So if you're trying to extend that uh, and really make some real money. I'd be really concerned about a 17th game as well.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, if you're a younger player coming into the league, um, they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, you can make big money with this 17th game because now the salary cap's going up and everything else. But they're, I'm sure, going to keep the draft slotting. So if you're a fourth-round pick, the first four years of your career, you're making less than a million dollars. And guess what the average career length in the NFL is? 4 yeah. years. Yes. So they they are well aware too that there are only a handful of guys and it's the superstars who are getting paid mainly the quarterbacks who are making the biggest money in the NFL. And those guys continue to just be a factory of players that comes in and plays for their four years. And maybe they get a a cheap second deal. If they're not a star player, if they're a role player, they get a $5 million contract for a couple of years or something like that, but it's always structured. So the team can get out of it whenever they want. And the point is that you aren't really earning that much more money, even if all of this changes for the players, that make up the majority of the NFL. So if you're trying to represent all of the players and especially the ones who are going to come into the league and have to play that extra game for their entire careers, you're talking about most guys aren't going to be your J.J. Watt who get to play 10, 12 years in the NFL. And even he has been injured as hell playing 16 games. Um, But you're not really representing those guys. You're representing the players who are not necessarily going to have the longer careers and extended um, time in the NFL that are going to be putting a lot more on their body. So I could see why they would go against it, but if I'm the NFL owners, I look at how much more money 17 games is, and if I say, well, you know what, we'll just knock off a preseason game or two, that's that's less on your body. Uh, Well, no, of course, it's not even close to the same, but they're going to look at that money and say, sorry, we just – We've got to do this. If the public isn't pushing back against the 17 game for the uh, health reasons of the players, which we know the public generally doesn't seem to care that much about that, um, then the owners have no reason not to say this is our hill to die on is this 17th game.
1: Well, yeah, and I think they're going to get it. I mean, it's hard to imagine the NFL ownership not getting something that's going to give them ultimately more revenue. I just think the NFL. It's hard to listen to them when they talk about health and safety oh, yes. and caring more. And and the JJ Watts. I guess the challenge for me is like, not only has he made a ton of money, he's been given three, four chances after injuries. Right, where a lot of guys get cut. Right, a lot of guys don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. There are a bunch of guys in that XFL who were guys who maybe would have had a chance to bounce back or redeem their careers or improve in the following season. But they got cut because that's the way the NFL works. So I just think a 17 game, if it has to happen, I think you're going to see folks get creative about how they use their players. And imagine a scenario, Collar, where you're a fan uh, of the NFL and you're here for a Packers-Vikings game, and it's in the middle of the season. But you know what, Mike Zimmer's thinking about week 18 now, right? Mm-hmm. Not just week 17, maybe week 19 if there's another bye week. I don't know how it's going to work. And he says, you know what, I, I, I don't know that Kurt Cousins needs to play in this game. And Matt LaFleur goes, you know what, uh, Aaron's been a little shaky. <laughs> He's not playing in this game either because we want them to be ready for those games that, gonna, that are going to matter most down the stretch of the season. And then you get to that field and Aaron Rodgers is on the sideline. Kirk Cousins is on the sideline because you've extended the season. Now that sounds bizarre because NFL teams haven't really had to think like that, but in the NBA, that's essentially what's happened. Guys have gone, you know what? I understand the risk attached to this schedule and I got to pace myself in order to make sure I'm not as healthy for this year, but I'm healthy, healthy in the years to come. Right. So I think people will see things like that actually happening as guys attempt to preserve their careers uh, attempt to preserve their seasons because they understand how fragile they are. All of that said, if the owners want 17 and the money co- that comes with that billions of dollars, they're going to get it uh, because no strike is going to happen. If you're not going to strike, they're going to get their way.
2: Yeah. And you know, what's funny is 16 games is already so much on guys. bodies. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I have talked with this, uh, with a couple of people about the load management thing and how, you know, Mike Zimmer tends to push guys to play. I, I would guess if you did a study of when guys are questionable and how often they play, the Vikings are toward the top of the list. Uh, and I, I've thought many times that if it's not a quarterback, Las Vegas says it doesn't affect things that much. And, of course, you know, if you're missing Stefan Diggs or Delvin Cook, one particular player, um, but for one week, can you survive it in the NFL to get a win, especially against certain teams? We saw the Vikings do that without Delvin Cook at times this year. They didn't want to do it against the Packers, but... It, it, could they have beaten the Lions and David Blah or Blau or whatever exactly. the name was? Like, Yes, they could have beaten them uh, without Delvin Cook and they should have rested him. And I've thought that many times about certain players where you should just take them off the field for a week to get their bodies to 100 percent because everyone is so beat up. That would definitely change uh, the way it was looked at by NFL teams, I think, unless they were just. Being NFL teams and said, "Go out there and play till you die because this is football." Yeah. Um, but the prudent teams, the, the smart teams, I, I think they would say, "You know what? Let's make sure that some of like our top receivers, our top defensive tackle, if we're going to be a Super Bowl contender, does take a week or two off during a seventeen game season." But I think the point about the Vegas thing is as long as it's not quarterbacks, people are going to show up to the stands. They're going to watch the games. They're going to pay for them. No one is going, Oh, Aaron Donald isn't playing. Well, I'm not watching this Rams game. You know, they might say it. If Jared Goff isn't playing, maybe he's a bad example after last year, but you know, it's, if it's, if it's Kirk cousins, of course you might go, Oh, they're not starting Kirk cousins. Well, I'm not showing up then. But if it's, Linval Joseph. Yeah, he's important or Harrison Smith, but you're just saying, oh, this is a new factor for us to talk about and debate. And it could end up working out a little bit in their advantage if teams started to do that because it becomes a new talking point. So,
1: yeah, I'm curious if it becomes it becomes a trend. You know, I think that's the thing. Does it become something where players just internally agree? This is what we're doing. And then that's why I wonder if you're like, well, wait a minute, man, a bunch of these guys aren't playing now that can affect people wanting to tune in to the same degree. It's not going to hurt overall, the bottom line, to a degree where you're like, we got to do something. But, but it can affect the quality of the game and the entertainment factor. But but let me ask you this, Kyler. You're, you're at practice, especially after the midpoint of the season. How many guys are actually practice? How many NFL teams are, teams are really practicing going into games? I'm talking full-on, pads-on, intense Like, how many guys are doing it after you hit the halfway mark of the
2: year? Not that many. I I mean, uh, in fact, I would probably guess none are going the same level of practice that they are early in the season. The Vikings, every year that I've covered them, have, I think it's after week 8 or maybe week 10, they change their practice schedule around to give the players more rest and recovery time. So. You know, teams are already getting smart about this. They have players in practice and in training camp wearing trackers that tell you exactly how much load they took on in practice. So it's getting very scientific and uh, it it adds an extra element to it. And maybe the enhanced scientific things help players have longer careers and help them sustain through a 17 game season. Anyway, it's just, you could see why many players would be pushing for, Hey, uh, look at my body right now. After 16, you're really going to add another one of these and then playoffs. And then you guys want more playoff teams. Are you kidding me? Um, But we know from a football fan perspective that, fans are going to want more games. I, I don't see people with picket signs outside of TCO performance saying 16 games, yeah, right? No, I,
1: mean,
2: no, I, right. I, I think they'll just be, Oh, another week of football, uh, another chance for my fantasy team to come back. That's fine. With yeah. me. So when you have, the public opinion usually leans so heavily towards supporting the owners in these things and saying, "Oh, these rich players they, they don 't want to take a deal that 's going to pay them a hundred million more in the first year or something, which is sixty thousand a person by the way um, yeah. you know when they see those things come out and the owners are very tactical about the way they put them out um, then the the, the player 's position I think is really weak um, from the public perception standpoint so um, anyway, let's uh, let's take a break here, Myron. And when we come back, I've got a bunch of Vikings things that I'm looking for this week in Indianapolis. I'm flying out today. Sage Rosenfels and I will be there for three days. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the NFL Combine. A lot expected to go on with the Minnesota Vikings. Jason LaConfora called them kind of the team that everybody will be watching to see what they do. So let's uh, discuss their biggest things going on at the Combine this week. And I also need to get your opinion, Tua versus Joe Burrow. Um, and is there any chance that Joe Burrow is not the number one overall pick? Let's do that when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf. And the Combine is in full swing to the point, Myron, where I saw hand sizes. Are you excited about Joe Burrow's hand size?
1: I, I, yes, I'm with you are. It, I'll
2: answer it for you. Yes, you are. It.
1: I'm with it. Man. I just love the uh, 40. It, and to me, what's always fun about like watching the 40 times is that you don't realize how fast offensive and defensive linemen are at this level Yes. until you see that and you see like, wait a minute, if those guys are that fast, what does that say about everybody else? It's just – it's amazing when I see a 6'5", 300-plus pound offensive lineman clock in at a 5'02 or something like that. You're like, how? How how does he move that fast uh, in the 40? It's
2: amazing. Right. I I consider myself to be – Fairly quick among humans, just, you know, like if you were taking all people (laughs) who are my age and can walk, I I think I'm, I think I'm like in the higher percentile of being quick. Yeah. And and, and then you see that and having stood on the sideline at training camp for several years and you just see those big guys run by you, it's like, this is a totally different world. So whatever you think you could run in the forty, add like two seconds to it. Because yeah. <laughs> this this is just it's not human with the uh, the way that if you're three hundred and twenty pounds and you can run a five flat or less, that is just not right. Our, our guy yeah. Alex Boone ran, I think, a five one at at the time six seven and and three ten, just you know, average. <laughs> yeah so anyway i i agree that the 40 has become uh, an event to watch even though it doesn't necessarily correlate to success as much as you think but track meets are fun
1: (laughs) yeah i wish it did you know i I always assume it does like i'm the guy who's like oh that guy who runs a, a four four one cornerback from division two, you know, <laughs> like Valdosta state or something like that. Oh yeah. You got to pick him. He, he's a third round cornerback, man. Somebody has got to get him.
2: Yes. There was just a uh, article that was published by pro football focus by Kevin Cole, looking at uh, what correlates to success. And it's funny how for running backs, the forty really doesn 't, and even delvin cook he didn 't run a great forty. I think it might have been four six or four five something it really wasn 't that impressive, and then he was tracked by the little NFL next gen trackers as running faster than anybody else in two thousand i think eighteen when he came back from his injury. he hit twenty two miles an hour or something crazy, so running, running with pads with a football uh, a lot different than the forty, and also you know John Ross was. The fastest guy ever, I think, tracked at the Combine. And, ah, you know, what's he been up to with Cincinnati? Not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, with Joe Burrow and Tua Tug I really am interested if there becomes a debate as we go along, especially if Burrow is not as impressive as he was in terms of his statistics and production in some of these workouts and in meetings and with his physical uh, you know, attributes and what he does at the combine, because it seems like every year that happens where there's a decided number one quarterback. And then there's something that ends up out there where we all go, Oh, maybe that guy isn't that guy. Or if Tua has his medicals come back all outstanding with his hip and everybody says, Oh yeah, no problems here. This guy won't be Bo Jackson. If that debate becomes more interesting as we go forward here.
1: I I can't wait to see it. Um, Because it feels like Joe has it all locked up, especially how he performed in clutch situations, Mm -hmm. you know. And and I think also, and both of these guys have it, like you also think to yourself, who can sell a franchise?
2: Yeah.
1: And and (laughs) if I'm the Bengals, uh, that's the kind of young guy you come to see, you know, early, even as you're trying to build around him. So uh, it's hard for me to imagine Joe losing that spot to a guy coming off to his injury, but. You know the chatter can't happen. I mean, personality. You know, what what does that say? Is there is Joe the kind of guy in interviews that comes off uh, confident, or there's some people who thinks he's a little brash maybe even arrogant. Uh, it, but I think Tua in the hip thing, even if his medicals come back perfect, I still think that works against him in terms of being the top pick. However, I certainly think there's a chance he's the best quarterback in this draft. And that we're looking back a couple of years from now and going, Wow, you probably should have picked two at that top spot.
2: Yeah, I think that's possible too. And and part of the reason is because Joe Burrow was a one year wonder. Uh, He was not that good in his first year as a starter at LSU. And they changed the offense a lot. I saw a stat today from PFF that they were using only five-man protections on 85% of their plays, which is crazy. So they got a bunch of receivers out. But that's always the worry is that you have a lot of great receivers, a lot of great players around you. That LSU team was really good. I mean, that would be the one team where you might debate... Like, could they beat an XFL team with uh, with, with LSU because they had so much freakish talent? The answer is probably still no, but I mean, so many guys are going to be drafted off that team. They, he was throwing to wide open receivers a lot. And then there's also some regression numbers that you worry about too, where his numbers under pressure were insanely high, which sounds like it's good, but can also be a product of luck. You know, where you're just throwing the ball up while you pressured and it's working out for you and it makes you look a little bit better than you actually are. So there's those things out there. Tua is younger. He did it for longer and he also, you know, is that guy with uh, that that sort of pocket presence and, and the moxie a little bit. Um, not that Burrow doesn't have it, but
1: he's we, also played with superstars too though. Right. I mean, Alabama, yeah, no, it's true.
2: It's true. I mean, name the
1: last Alabama quarterback you trusted, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah it's true. Well, they said that about kale quarterbacks and, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't that the thing about, yeah. um, Tedford and kale? Well, his quarterbacks never work out. So we can't draft Aaron Rodgers, Like, uh, yeah. you know, so, but I think
1: Bama's thing has been, they've had five star guys, at every position. And for some right. reason, at quarterback, they just haven't been able to produce those guys. And I, I Let's say this. Let's say Joe is a big product of the system. I think anybody going to a bad NFL team needs some support from the system. I mean, that's going to be a challenge for, for anybody in that position. But I think there are examples of guys who excelled at different points in college. Russell Wilson transferred from NC State to Wisconsin. There were people who certainly thought that he was just a guy who benefited from this strong Wisconsin running game, and he was just right. taking advantage of opportunities. Turns out, no, he was really good. I mean, so I, I think the bottom line will be, whether it's Cincy, whether whether it's Tua or Joe, you got to surround them with the right talent, protection. And it's more to me about, like, do you trust your organization to get the most uh, out of those guys? That'll be, the to me, to decide, in fact.
2: Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that Burrow tells them to um, go buzz off and that yes. he's not going to play for them? You think so? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes, I think there's definitely a, a chance for a standoff. And here's my thing, Kyler. Why not do it? I mean, if this is your last real chance, <laughs> I mean, if you're a good quarterback, this is essentially kind of your last chance to say, you know what? I want to take advantage of the little freedom I might have and push for a chain. Now, I don't know if it works, but if you do it, I think only good can come of it. A, you get drafted, you're the number one pick you got to go to Cincinnati, fine, right? B, there's a potential that maybe you convince people, hey, maybe we should go with two or someone else, and you end up in a place that you would rather be. So it's only happened twice, right? I mean, Elway did it, uh, and then Eli did it, right? I can't think of another quarterback historically who's pulled it off, but if that's really a situation you don't want to be a part of, and listen, fans take that personally because they say things like, Oh, you don't want to live in Cincinnati? <laughs> no, you want to be a part of a great organization. Right. And you see Cincinnati and go, oh, I'm not sure if I trust that organization. And, and right. that, to me, would be the deciding thing with Joe Burke.
2: And do you trust them to put what needs to be around you around you? Because historically, they haven't really done a very good job with that, even with free agents. And when you see, it's it's still the same people running things, essentially, from when Carson Palmer said I would rather not play football ever again than play for you. Yeah. I mean that that still lingers out there that that was your organization that one of the best players in the league was just like nope not playing for you ever again you have to <laughs> trade me. Um and you know, they've gotten close with building up rosters, but then weren't able to keep them together. You think about the Andy Dalton team, where they had Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu and A.J. Green, and Andy Dalton is looking like a legit NFL quarterback, and then, what, a year or two years later, after his best year, you don't have Marvin Jones, he's in Detroit. You don't have Mohamed Sanu, he's in Atlanta, and all of a sudden, you're not anywhere near the team. They let the offensive line corrode, they let Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle, go, they let another offensive lineman, Kevin Zeitler, go, so, you know, so not paying players and letting the roster corrode around the quarterback would really concern me if I was Joe Burrow. The only thing is, if you're Burrow and you say, sorry, guys, you got to trade me, um, you know, be careful what you wish for a little bit because drafting number two is Washington. You don't want to end up there. Uh, Miami, I would say, is not in the worst position ever. Um, their coach at least made a really good impression by doing what he did last year, but it's still Miami. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers is maybe the team that you would push for, maybe Carolina with their new ownership group that seems like they're going in the right direction. But, you know, it's no guarantee that you're just going to get traded to another great organization. There's a third of this yeah. league that has no idea what they're doing.
1: Well, and I think the other question becomes, you know, if you're the Bengals, are you convinced that Joe is certainly the better option over Tua? Are you convinced that he's clearly the better quarterback? Right. Um, because you could benefit from this. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the Giants got Eli. The Chargers get Phillip Rivers. I mean, they got Phillip Rivers, a guy who was really, really good, just never won the big one, but certainly put them in a position to win. Just, uh, so I don't think it was, they look back and go, Oh man, that was a terrible, terrible situation. So I, I wonder about the gap between Tua and Joe, because healthy Tua, there's no debate healthy too there's no question that's the guy i think you would pick number 1 because of all the things that you've mentioned uh it's not even just the it factor it's a guy who has proven he can play under pressure with the big spotlight right and you just look at him and go man i think that guy could be really really good uh if he gets the right guys around him whereas now though the hip should you. yeah I don't, I don't know i mean how many guys come back better from any kind of a hip injury at this stage in their careers. I'm sure guys have done it, but I think NFL teams have every right to be cautious, right? Of whatever happens at the combine still going, am I getting the same guy I saw before the injury?
2: Sure. Yeah. No. And there's plenty of reason to be that way, but also it's a quarterback. And if, if you hit on it, then you are set for a very long time and you know, it's worth taking the risk. So even quarterbacks that people will overdraft are still a good pick even if they didn't look like they deserved to be a first-round draft pick, you're still making the right move if you don't have a quarterback because almost nothing else – Matters, And you can replace anything else. You could sign a free agent wide receiver. You could sign a free agent offensive lineman. You can't just go sign a great quarterback. Most of the time, this year is a little weird, but most of the time, yeah. uh, especially someone for the next 10 years. And I, I was just looking at Tua's stats and you have to just pull them up to remind yourself how good this guy was in three years playing in college football and two years as a starter, especially. You know, His first year as a freshman, he comes into the championship game and brings them from behind to win it. And then his follow-up act was was 43 touchdowns, six picks as a sophomore. And then before he got hurt, 33 touchdowns, three picks, and over 70% completion percentage. And this is crazy. Over 11 yards per pass attempt for two. I mean, (laughs) you you mentioned about the Alabama quarterbacks. No Alabama quarterbacks have put up numbers anywhere close to this uh, in, in their careers. He was the guy that I looked at as having that special extra trait that isn't just, okay, he's accurate, okay, he's smart, anticipates throws and things like that. But he also has a little bit of that baller mentality and a little bit of that that pocket presence. He can move his feet, he can take off if you need him to, but he can make plays off schedule that are really special, which is why I I still like to a little bit more than Burrow, and, and part of it is also his age as well. So if you're Cincinnati and Burrow tells you to go take a hike, you might be like, okay, well, we'll draft this guy and take extra draft picks from somebody else to make our team better. Because one of the things about the draft that's nuts, Myron, is teams always get convinced that they know way more than they know. And so so do we. Yep, so do we in the draft. Um, But if, I mean, if you were just, if you were saying odds that is great, odds that Joe Burrow is great, they're probably very close to the same. If you're a first or second overall pick as a quarterback, your odds are almost identical that you're going to be a great quarterback or a good quarterback or an absolutely awful quarterback. When you get farther down the board, that's when you're talking about, it's really unlikely that the fourth or fifth or sixth quarterback becomes Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott, but first and second quarterbacks usually, I mean, that's just a coin flip. And
1: and I think in the current situation we're talking about, you're right. But I think if you, if you're convinced that you're getting a healthy Tua, that's different to me because healthy Tua, I think, could be special considering yep. what we watch. I, yep. but I don't know. I don't know how to assess that. Like I, I don't know. Even if he comes today and says, everything's great. My medicals are great. We haven't seen him play yet since then. I mean, we haven't seen right. him on a football field and he's essentially going from an injury that he suffered in college to his next competition being on an NFL field. A lot of guys you'll see rehab in college come back and then you see them progress at the collegiate level before they're drafted, we got to see his progress at the next level. And guess what? There's a good chance he doesn't play the first year, no matter where he goes. So now you're talking about a guy who's maybe two-plus years removed from playing in a live game, making his debut in the NFL, coming off this hip injury. So those are all things that really smart people who make a lot of money in NFL franchises, to figure that out, that's what they're paid to do. But I think that is the biggest question that you have to ask at this combine and the biggest question you have to answer. How healthy is Tua? What does that mean for his future? And where does he stand uh, in the race against Joe Burrow? And I think you can make the right decision and look like a genius a decade from now or you can lose your job two years from now for making a wrong decision which is why the combine is so important.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you also never know who's going to emerge because they have a great pro day. I would keep an eye on Justin Herbert for that, even though his tape is not that impressive. And Sage Rosenfels broke it down for all the reasons why somebody's got big hands and a big arm and a big body. They just love it. And he's a a good athlete as well. So you get that uh, I'll forever call it a, a Josh Allen thing. Just that made no sense. Otherwise, the guy couldn't perform at a high level at Wyoming, and yet you thought that he was worse. Right? He got worse at
1: Wyoming. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Jordan loves a little bit of that guy too. Where he had a good um, sophomore year, and then he comes out as a junior and throws eighteen interceptions, and then people still look at it. No, no, no. See, it was this. It was this. It was this. It was this. Like, uh, all right. Well, if you've got to make a bunch of excuses for him, Uh, anyway, another thing to keep in mind before we move on to the Viking stuff. Uh, Kirk Cousins threw the ball harder at the NFL combine than Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes. So when you see those radar gun numbers come out, just keep that in mind.
1: That's why you couldn't send me to the combine because I love pro day guys, <laughs> like, like big number guys, bench press guys. All of those guys are moving up at least one round on my mock draft board <laughs> based off a of good performance, which is why I should have no power with an NFL franchise because those four, three, four, four cornerback, dude. Like I would pick them all. Oh,
2: uh, right. they move
1: up in my draft chart.
2: I want to point out that Joe Burrow has smaller hands than Tua. So that is another important the problem. Thing. That's yep. The problem. Yep. That's a big problem. Um, <laughs> the, the Dante Culpepper, <laughs> tiny hands thing. <laughs> so with the Vikings, Myron, I'm going to give you a couple options here. You tell me which one is most interesting to you that you want to hear sourced reports about this week with what's going on with the Vikings. Uh, would you rather see uh, things about current free agents like Everson Griffin and Anthony Harris. Would you rather see some noise about contract extensions or about Zimmer Spielman extensions or trades?
1: It's gotta be extensions. I mean, make the Kirk Cousins extension happen already. if That's going to happen. Cause I think that's just the first major piece in the puzzle. And then from there to me, it's uh, the Everson Griffin stuff. I mean, I think, I think, at the end of the day, if, if you're a Vikings fan, I don't know that you're looking at this draft and going, we get dramatically better based on what happens in April. Um, I think you look at things and go, we either stay the same potentially, maybe take a slight step back, uh, based on what happens with our extensions and free agency. I do like the idea. And I guess I'm picking all the categories. I, I didn't really stick to one after your question. Hmm uh unfortunately i'm sorry
2: well that's gonna be a one week suspension that's okay i'll Follow take it rules.
1: <laughs> i'll serve it in the uh 17th game of the season <laughs> yeah, that's right so but like the antoine winfield possibility that's heartwarming you know i mean I, i'd love to see i, I want to see him have a great combine uh i want to see him work out well run fast uh because i'd love to see that guy uh come aboard and play for his dad's team and Stories like that are good, but he, he can also play. I mean, he's also just a, a hell of a player. So I, I hope that buzz grows in terms of him maybe boosting this secondary. But I think, number one, you got to figure out when the Kirk Cousins extension happens because it's got to happen. It's just a matter of, of when. But then from there, who can they afford to keep? And, again, that's about people who are much smarter, uh, and make a lot more money in that organization to figure that out.
2: So here, but here's a question for you, though. If you're Kirk, you're going in there or your representation is going in there to meet with the Vikings here at the Combine. And you're saying what from his side, though? Because we always think of it from the Viking side of, well, do you pay him? It's going to cost a lot of money. And do you want to lock yourself into somebody who might not be able to get you over the top and, and, and so forth? We've treated it as, as a foregone conclusion that Kirk would just say, Oh yeah, sure. I'll stay. But this was the guy who forced his way out of another team. And we almost never see that in the NFL where somebody ends up going all the way through the franchise tags and everything else to finally become an unrestricted free agent as a quarterback. Usually they just sign up for the money right away. So I think Kirk is a little bit of a different kind of dude. And I I wonder what you think his side of it would be saying to the Vikings for what he wants.
1: I think his side of it is I have all the power in the world you all can ex- offer me an extension i stay but if you don't let me show you all the teams in the next couple of years that I have that will have openings
2: yeah
1: uh, and would give me a job tomorrow you know so i mean i think kurt goes into that room knowing he has a lot of power and, and influence i don't know what kurt can ask for in addition i mean you add an offensive lineman uh, fine but you've got so many pieces like Kirk has so many things that should should allow him to be a great quarterback. So I don't know what is on his wish list, but in terms of negotiating, Kirk knows that he's the guy who really has a has the power. like Marcus Mariota is being brought up collar as a guy who's going to get an NFL job. Jameis Winston <laughs> could have choices and options this yeah. off season. Yeah. So a guy like Kirk Cousins, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, you don't want to extend me? Okay, fine. I'll let somebody else give me that three, four, five-year deal I want. So the Vikings don't really have, in my opinion, a lot of power because there's no real backup option for them to turn to at this point,
2: right? Unless they pick one, then then that that's what I love about this is that we're going to know on draft night or draft nights how they feel about this. If like a, eight of them, right? And yeah. Day 3, let me tell you that that media room, day day 3 is really long and they do bring us subs but I mean it's just like by the end of it uh last year I think they had four seventh rounders were like who are you <laughs> you know
1: just, hey it's, it's my it's my D2 43 D240 guys man that's that's, who, that's who, right
2: that's right day three. the conference calls on John day 3 Burton. Burton that's it's <laughs> like a John Tavius Burton I love those dudes man the sp- the specialists, when they yeah. draft the long snapper, the punter yeah. in the seventh round. like you know, derail Bradford,
1: give me those guys, dudes, man. <laughs> Love those dudes.
2: You guys are really drafting a long snapper <laughs> in the seventh round. Well, he did become their long snapper, so I guess it worked out. Um, well, I, you know, I think from, from Kirk's side, he's going to go in there, and he's going to want to know – What's the what's the long term plan here? I mean, what's the five year plan? Like a job interview, and they say, "What do you where do you see yourself, young man, in five years?" Uh, well, he's going to want to know from them. Like, do, you, do you guys see Zimmer as your head coach? Five years from now, are we sticking with this front office that can't seem to build me an offensive line? Are we going to invest on the offensive line over the next few years? I think he's going to want to know that because it was important to him to come to a team that was in really good shape. That's why he didn't sign with the New York Jets for a little bit more money. He did not take a pay cut uh, by any means, but um, you know they might have paid him a little bit more in New York, and that was a bad situation, and, and he's calculated like that. So if I'm him, I'm looking at this roster saying you guys kind of have the earmarks of a team that's about to slip uh, down the, the line a little bit here. So how are you going to keep them from doing that? Uh, I will be very interested, Myron, to see if we get any noise about a Cousins extension throughout all the other things that are coming out this week.
1: Yeah, but I think, you know, no, all noises, you want to know that there's activity, right? At a minimum, you you don't want to hear nothing. So I, I think the Kirk Cousins extension feels inevitable. But it's the other stuff that we have questions about. Does the secondary get better? Does the offensive line get better? What does that defense, uh, look like? I do think you're probably thinking to yourself, you're a Vikings fan. Feels pretty good to have a veteran coach. I mean, I know there was talk about Zimmer when things were getting rough, wondering there, but now it feels like there's still some stability, which is a situation that a lot of teams don't have at this point. So you're confident in that. You're going to have your quarterback. You're going to have your coach. And now it's about some of the other pieces in terms of taking the next step forward. But I would say when Kirk says, what's the plan? I hold up a mirror and I say, (laughs) look into this mirror, Kirk. You're the plan. You being a great quarterback who we've been paying like a great quarterback for the last two years. You're the plan.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see what comes out throughout the week. I got to run to Indy and meet my uh, buddy Sage Rosenfels there. And uh, so we'll have a a bunch of shows and even more stuff on the podcast feed, video on the Twitter. So keep your eye on Purple Daily the next few days. Myron, thanks for your time, man. All right, brother. All right. We will uh, talk to you soon. Tomorrow on uh, Purple Daily will be from Indy. So we'll catch
0: you then.